desire of the pastor every Sunday is to convince you to trust God. <laughs> we we go through the same routine almost if you really look at what uh, we share with you from week to week to week. We go into a passage and what we're learning about is God. And what we're asking is, do we trust Him? And then the next week we come back and do it all over again. And I wonder why we have to keep doing it that way. Is it simply because we need that reminder, trust God? And we can sing it in a beautiful way like uh, Megan did this morning. We can proclaim it from God's Word over and over again. But, you know, it really just gets down to doing it, right? And trusting God like we're called to do. Here we are in Romans chapter number 8. And we've been plowing our way through this passage now since January. And it seems like we've been here a long time. And we're only on verse number 26. And uh, we're going to cover 26 and 27 today. And there are 39 verses in the chapter. So it is going to make it all the way to the end of the year, I'm pretty sure. Um, But the basic point that we've been studying here has to do with the security we have in Him. And that comes down to trust again, doesn't it? This is what He is doing. And it's such a beautiful, beautiful thing to go over. And I hope I'm not turning it into something clinical and academic and just simply, uh, you know, defining terms and, and, you know, developing great concepts or whatever. But I trust that as the weeks go by, we get to trust him more because we see what he's doing. And that's what I want my focus to be all the way through here. This is what he's doing, and this is what he's doing for us. And if you have any questions at all about his love for you, just open up this chapter and read it again. It just pounds me week after week about how busy our God is in our lives and how he's going to convince us of his love. And so, today, Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27, it says, In the same way the Spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now really, it seems easy to understand that, but there's also parts of that we step back and say, huh? What's that mean? What's that mean? I, I, you know, we're going to work on some of this today, maybe it'll help a little bit. Um, but let's start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we enter into this part of our worship service where we study your word, it is an act of worship on our part, because in this act, we get to know you better. And when we know you better, we can serve you better. We can love you the way that we ought to. We can set our focus upon you as we should, and we get to follow your steps more carefully. This is important to what we do and what we say and what we believe. So uh, help us with your word as it is your word. It is powerful, it's sharp, it's active, and I like the fact that it always accomplishes what you set it out to do. So you've aimed it at us today, and may we be willing recipients of it, may we be good students of it, may we be good responders to it, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. All right. Now, I've told you already, I've started, that this is uh, a chapter set before us to convince us of the security of God's love for us as believers in Jesus Christ. This is a very important thing. I believe our chapter is building to a very exciting point. I love the last couple of verses of this book. We quote it often when we talk about what can separate us from the love of God, and it's got quite a wonderful list that uh, just just excites excites us. To me, as a as a young believer, and I I really was when I went to Bible college. Though I had known the Lord for six years before I went to Bible college, I did not know Him well. Uh, I had not been taught well the things of, of God, and I had some very bad, uh, I had some bad theology inside there, and I've told you those stories before, uh, how I had been led to believe things contrary to God's word. But when I was in a class on the book of Romans, I've told you before how that has changed my life, and I recall so vividly in that classroom, when we got to chapter 8, Wow, was that an incredible chapter to read. For one who had believed all the time that God was angry with me and was willing to just throw me out, and then to read that nothing can separate me from the love of God. I didn't know He loved me that much. It overwhelms me just to think about it. And it it chokes me up. But this is exciting to focus on His love. And that's what we're doing, and that's what we've seen. We're secure from our past because of His love for us. He sent His Son to die, that we might have no condemnation now in Christ Jesus. Is that love? Wow. We're secured in our mind because through the Spirit we have life, and we have peace. And I love those terms, and we saw that too. We're secured in our living because that Holy Spirit that we talk about so much dwells in us. He lives here. And because He dwells in us, He's constantly confirming that we are believers who belong to God. He's confirming that. He works in our life to, to make them righteous lives. And He has the power to do it, by the way. As we saw in the passage, He's the same one who raised Jesus from the dead. And He's alive in you. He's at work in you. We've seen that we're secure in our relationship with God because we've been adopted as children of God. And that Holy Spirit, again, testifies to it and promises in that that we are heirs and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Those are good words we've seen, too. We've talked about our future and God's great plan that He has concerning us. He will fulfill it, folks. Not one part of His plan will fail. And I guarantee that. Not because I'm, I'm somebody who can guarantee it from my words. He guarantees it. Through the work of the Holy Spirit. And though our bodies wear out, we know it. And these bodies we wear are weak. And yet, someday they'll be raised into glorious bodies. And that's His promise. We're, we're understand what it means to be fully redeemed and experiencing the hope that He has for us, that we're waiting for. 
Those are the things we've studied so far, and they've all been to say that he loves you very, very dearly. And he knows that we live currently in weak bodies. He knows the weakness that we have beyond these bodies, in our spirit, in our, our spiritual walk, in all these aspects. He knows what we are. And yet he's at work in us at this present time. That's where we are here in verse 26 and 27. He knows our weakness. And that doesn't mean he says, now, once you get your act together, come back and I'll help you. (laughs) He is at work right now. And if that's what the theme of verse 26 and 27 will be, I think that's a good one. He meets our needs because we are strengthless. I want to keep amplifying that as I go through this passage. Uh, Because when we get to verse 28, 29, 30, and on, you're going to see such incredible things about how he is working in every way to bring everything together. And as it says, we know the verse, God causes all things to work together for good to to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. We're building to that. And we're going to be absolutely convinced, I hope, I really hope, nothing separates you from the love of God. Not even your weaknesses. Isn't that good to hear? That's where we're at. That's where we're at. So, I just ask you a couple of questions as we get started here with these verses. Do you think God would invest so much in you for any part of his plan to fail? Do you think that the sacrifice of Christ was somehow insufficient to pay the full price for every aspect of your spiritual life? Do you think that the Holy Spirit is limited in His ability to change you? I know, we fight sometimes, don't we? I love a quote, read it years ago, and it says, wherever the Spirit is at work, change is inevitable. He is God, and He never fails. But people say, yeah, but we live in a technical age now. Oh, I love that. I love that argument. You want to go down it? It's so interesting. Computers, smartphones, they call them. You talk about all kinds of electronic devices. What does the Holy Spirit know about these things? Some people say, well, isn't he kind of outdated? He's kind of like an old Windows XP program. What does he know about things beyond a rotary phone? You know, we, we, we go to these things and we think that they apply to doctrine and life and, and such as all. And there are people who say, well, you know, your faith and your doctrine is somewhat antiquated. It is good for you know, my dad or my grandpa or somebody, you know, it's back for those days. But, you know, is the message of the Bible relevant? Is the gospel only for a weak society? There are those who've said that philosophically. Well, I want to confess something. I'm more than weak. I'm helpless without the gospel. Without the power of God in my life. Without the work of the Holy Spirit. I'm hopeless without it. I'm strengthless without it. And that's coming to grips with reality. Talk about spiritual matters. Here it comes. I am...
totally dependent upon the Lord in my life and in my ministry. Absolutely, totally dependent on Him. And I say that clearly, I hope. Because that's important to me. And that, folks, is important to you too. Not just for what Pastor Bob does, as far as the pastor is concerned, but for every single one of us as individuals in Jesus Christ, we are totally dependent upon Him. Whether you realize that or not, you are. And if you somehow might think that uh, you're not really, you're deceiving yourself. I just say it as it is. That's a deception. We, we fall for it all the time. We convince ourselves of our own spiritual strength, our, our own spiritual wisdom, somehow our own spiritual direction. We can figure these things out. We generate things on our own terms, by our own doings. But this passage brings us back to a simple point, and it, that is, if God is not in it, it's not going to happen. This is the Christian life we're talking about here in Romans chapter number 8. And he's talking about all the facets of it. And who's in the middle of all of that? It's our God. And it's his love. And it is powerful. And let's not underestimate what it's able to do here. Because I do not believe God's love in any way is optional in the Christian life. I do not believe it's some add-in program or some little app that you occasionally use on your phone. God's love is essential. Mark these words. Essential. Yes, it's multifaceted. It covers so many areas. It operates in every aspect of our being. This is God's love in forgiving us, which we're glad for that. It's God's love in saving us. It's God's love in sanctifying us, and that's where you're at right now. You're becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. That's sanctification. It's God's love in securing us. And that's not just a policy statement. That's just not a doctrinal point. That's not a document to put on paper and file it away. It is what God says about his activity in us right now. He is active. He's busy. And he reveals that to us. And there's so many verses to prove that to you. Let me just give you one side note, just because I like to. Philippians, it's in chapter 2. It's only a few pages away from where you are right now. But in Philippians chapter 2, you've got to see it. I know you know it, but I want you to look at it. Philippians 2, verse 13. Seen these words before? Philippians 2, 13. For it is God... Who is at work in you? Think about those words right there. For it is God who is at work in you. The literal sense of the Greek. For God is the one who is working in you. That's a, an ongoing concept. I-N-G. You heard it, right? Working, working, God who is working. He is always operating in you. He is always effective in you. He is always efficient in you. He is always active in you. It is God who is working in you. I love that phrase. That's an important phrase, isn't it? Now, that means it's not just a Sunday morning thing, is it? 
God is at working in you. I think I want that to impress that upon us here this morning as we go back to verse 26 of Romans 8. Because when we were started into this section a couple of weeks ago, we, we found two things revealed about ourselves here. I'm going to talk about those just for a moment, the things we've seen already that were revealed about us in the passage. But my primary look today is what it reveals about God in these two verses. And so that will be the part we're emphasized. But first, what are the two things we've already seen about ourselves? First of all, we are weak. And I bring that up one more time, and that's not because I love to stomp all over people. That's me too. Without strength is the word. Strengthless. That means nothing, nothing, nothing. All right? And it says so. Uh, in the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness. There it is. It just confessed it right there, didn't it? Our weakness. We do not know how to pray as we should. That's the second thing that we found in this passage that's quite revealing, isn't it? We do not know how to pray as we should. We do not know how to pray. Talked about that last week a little. We do not know what to pray for. We do not pray as we should pray. We've got a lot of problems in prayer. But that's true. We do not know. Even though that perhaps is one of the simplest acts of a believer, is to pray. Yet, we're even incapable of that act, if you want to say it. Because that's a spiritual act. And unless the Spirit empowers us, we can't do it. We don't even know how. Now, I think it's interesting to say it this way, because who is writing the book of Romans? Quiz time. The Apostle Paul, right? Who is he? Oh, he's a man who ministered all over the then world that, that they knew of. He went all these places. He, he started churches in many different countries and cities. He, he stood toe-to-toe with false teachers. And he talked to philosophers, and he dealt with adversaries in the church, and he was persecuted in a hundred different ways for his faith. He was even stoned, we know of that too. Yet he writes these words, we do not know how to pray. He didn't say you. He said we. Because Paul was speaking out of spiritual reality. We can't do it, folks. Even if you are the great Apostle Paul, you have to confess. You are strengthless. You do not even know what to ask for as you should. That's not to belittle ourselves. All right? That's not some way that God has set up to shame us, to let us, you know, put us in our place or such like that. The struggle isn't the fact that we are helpless. Our struggle is that we try to masquerade the fact that we are helpless. That we go about saying or acting as if we get along well without him. That's our struggle. Not the reality that we're helpless. It's just we paint over it all the time. So people don't see it. I don't know why. Is that pride? I think so. So, that's the first half of our study from verse 26. The reality of who we are. We've seen that. Now, let's look at what God is doing because of that. That's our focus, really. 
what is what is he doing? And it says this in the middle. Well, let's start in verse 26. Go back to it again. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He, that's the Father, who searches the heart, knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because He, the Holy Spirit, intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Obviously, when you focus on yourself, you see yourself as weak and not knowing how to pray. But if you go back and look again, the passage is full of information of what God is doing about that. How he is active, even though we are weak. Even though we're ignorant. He's active. The Spirit helps. He works in our place. We've studied that several weeks ago. Instead of watching to see what we can do. He already knows that we are but dust. And he does what we cannot do. And so I'm going to emphasize these two things today. You ready? Built up. Ready? Okay. The Spirit, number one, this is what he's up to. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. He intercedes intensely. That's my little caption for the first phrase in verse 26. He intercedes intensely. And in verse number 27, where it says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God, He intercedes intelligently. Those are the two parts I'm going to emphasize today. He intercedes intensely. He intercedes intelligently. Now, to understand it all, you've got to know what intercedes means. Intercede is is an interesting word. I'd love to just spell it to you in English letters. H-U-P-E-R, Hooper, that's me, Hooper, E-N-T-U-G-C-H-A-N-O. All right, it's a mile and a half long. And what's that mean? It it means to intercede, uh, there it is, intercede for, (laughs) on behalf of someone. The, The word actually comes down from the, smaller version of it, which is actually in verse 27, is a smaller version. Verse 26 is the larger version. But the one in verse number 27, it's something you chance upon. You say, huh? That's a weird word. They use it for, well, chanced upon it. Uh, to, to deal with something, to help with something. And Let me give you a word picture, because when I read this, I said, oh, now that makes sense. All right. Uh, Robertson's Word Pictures, great little uh, book to help with these things. He says, this word is very picturesque. It's a word of rescue, where one just happens upon somebody who's in trouble and pleads on his behalf. Sees you in trouble and does something about it. But here's the great thing. I told you that word Hooper was in front of it in the verse 26. That intensifies the whole thing. I mean, all of it's an intense word anyway. But it intensifies it on top of the action itself. It's more than just he thinks about you occasionally or just happened upon you today. Whoop, there you are. What a surprise. It's not that at all. But he He's intensely involved in this. It's a present tense word, so it's an ongoing nature to him. Because our helplessness is ongoing. 
his ministry to us is ongoing. Does that make sense? And that's important, because he's never unemployed, folks. He's always, 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 always at work. And, and the way it comes out, and this is the wonderful part of this word, is that when he intercedes for you, he hits the mark. And that's the essence of the word when you get down to it. He hits the mark every time. They used to have it as a term when you threw a javelin and you hit the target that you were supposed to hit. This is the word they put in there. You know, some people say, well, that was luck. That was chance. No, that was skill. And that's why sometimes you think, you know, his workiness is just lucky. He happened to have been there at the right moment. When all the while, he has precision in his actions. He, he reaches his, his goal. He attains it. He gets it. Uh, he obtains it. Uh, he becomes a master of it. These are all in that same word, believe it or not, to intercede. In other words, he's very effective at what he's doing. Very effective. He will bring it to pass every time. Now, the Holy Spirit sees our desperate need. He knows who we are. He knows what we do. He knows we can't do anything about it. But he knows what we need. And you may think that he gets upset with you for being so weak. Oh, they're weak again. You think he gets upset with that? There was the other day, even while I was typing this up, there was this fly pestering me in the office. Just kept coming round and round and round. And it wanted my cup of coffee desperately. And, you know, I'd chew it away, and it'd be back, and I'd chew it away, and it'd be back. And it just kept coming around and going around there. And so it got close enough, and I smacked it down into the coffee. Said, you want it? There. Then I watched it drown. No, I did not drink the coffee. <laughs> but I said, you want it so bad? I'll give it to you. Do you think the Holy Spirit treats you like that? He sees you, oh, you're back at that again. He sees you back at that again. He sees you back at that. So he smacked you into it and says, okay, drown. You know what's incredible? That's not the way he works. He's not like that at all. He helped us out. I let it drown. He helped us out. That's what the word intercede is all about. He sees our desperate need, and he doesn't leave us there. He makes a difference. Sometimes, have you ever asked if your prayers work? You pray, and you wonder if they ever make a difference at all, if they ever get beyond the ceiling. You just think that there's a barrier there somehow. Do you know that the Holy Spirit has never stopped interceding on your behalf? He has never stopped, and He never will? That's an incredible thing to think through. He's interceding for you. He knows you're constantly in need. He's constantly hitting that mark directly in what He says on your behalf. Always securing, always attaining, Always, and if that's not strong enough for you, I think that word interceding is pretty strong. He does it intensely. 
it says this, and I think this is rather interesting because I hope it convinces you of what he's up to. It says that he is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, what's that mean? That he sees you and he says, Ugh. Is that the groan? It's a sigh. It's a word sigh. Yes, it is. It's a word sigh. Do you think he's just saying, oh, no, I got him again. I've got to help him again. And he groans and he groans. That's not the word, okay. I know it sounds like it. Maybe you think that's what he's doing. But here's what some people say. The Holy Spirit knows what we're trying to say. Knows what our hearts want to say. He understands our groans and our unspoken requests, and he intercedes for us. Now, can he? Does he? Yeah, he knows us better than we know ourselves. I'm sure of that. He is God. But this is the Holy Spirit groaning, not you. Oh, you're groaning earlier in the passage because you're in a weak body. But the Holy Spirit is groaning and uttering sounds and sighs and noises that can't even be put into words. Why? Because he's tired? Because he's weak? Because he's sore? Because he just can't put up with you anymore? Why is he groaning? Well, I think of it as this way. I think of it as the depth of his understanding of who we are and where we are and what we are supposed to be. There are some things that people endure that we cannot speak to. We try to sympathize with them. We don't know the depth of their pain. That's not so with the Holy Spirit. He knows you. He knows your helplessness. He finds you so. He knows that. And he helps you in this. He, with sighs and groanings, not because he's fed up with you, but because he knows what you are and why you are and what you're to be. Jesus used the same thing, by the way, in Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, it speaks of him going into a region in, in the cities of Decapolis. And when he came into that area, they kept bringing all the sick. They always did that, didn't they? They'd bring the sick and all those to him to heal them. And among those that they brought one day was a, a man who was deaf. And it says he spoke with difficulty. And they asked Jesus to lay his hands on him, heal him. And they brought him to Jesus. And Jesus took him aside from the crowd. It says in Mark 7, verse 33, took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ear. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with his saliva. Some of you say, eh, what's that? Well, he did. And then looking up to heaven, this is what's interesting. Looking up to heaven with a deep sigh. That's the same word the Holy Spirit is groaning with. With a deep sigh, he said, Ephrata, which means to be opened. And the ears were opened, and the impediment of the tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. Why did Jesus sigh? He knew he was going to heal the man. Didn't he? Of course he did. 
He knew what the outcome would be. Why did he sigh then? Well, this is one word uh, a, a scholar by the name of Trench, you might have heard the name before, said this. Over the wreck which sin had brought about, and the malice of the devil in deforming the fair features of God's original creation, but it was probably yet more painful, an impression of the evil things and bitter that all, our, all those ills that have sprung up, which he later will take on as our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. It speaks of more than just that he saw a man in need and knew he had the power to heal him, but he knew what he made man to be, and he knew what man should be, and that man was not there. And the groan that came from realizing and seeing this is a weakness of these human beings that God has created. And it wasn't that God had failed, but it's because man had sinned. And because of sin, that's where we are. And Jesus had the solution for that too. And as he looked at that man, I don't doubt at all that he was thinking as well, I have the best answer for that. And that's not giving him hearing. That's giving him eternal life. And I would die for this man. If that doesn't bring a groan out of a person, I don't know what would. Just to see that this is not where they should be. But I'm going to make a difference. And they will be what they're designed to be. He did that once again, by the way. In a similar way, when he approached a tomb in John chapter 11, and there his dear friend Lazarus was dead. And as Jesus approached that tomb, he, he saw Mary there, he saw Martha there, he heard their complaints, said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died, and on and on. You know the dialogue, you've seen it before. But when Jesus approached that area, he saw there were those who were weeping, like Mary and Martha. He saw the Jews that were there, and they were weeping. Why were they weeping? You know it as well as I do, because death does that, doesn't it? It breaks our heart, and we say, what can we do about it? We can't change it. We can't do a thing about it. And it hurts. The separation's hard. We know that, don't we? Jesus sees the tears and all that, and it says, He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. There's that groan coming. Why? Jesus came to solve that problem. But that's the problem. He could see it. And it goes on to say in two more verses, favorite verse we always had in Bible memorization challenges. Jesus wept. John 11.35 He wept. Oh yes, he could do something about it. But he understood man. The Holy Spirit can do something about it. Here in Romans chapter 8 verse 26. So we're absolutely convinced he can do something about it. And he will do something about it. And it will be perfect every time. But that doesn't mean he doesn't look at it and groan as he does it. Because he knows who you are. And he knows what you ought to be. And he's at work to bring that about. And if there's a lot of sound that goes with it, I think that's accurate. It just meets exactly the condition that we're at. He knows how to meet our need. So, he groans, he intercedes, but he does it intensely, doesn't he? 
I set those words before you because the second half, in verse 27, will just take a minute of our time, and I wish we had more time, but we're plowing to it more in the future still. He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. That's intelligently. According to the will of God. He knows God's will. Oh, yes, he is God. That sounds funny to say it. But that's just the point, isn't it? He is God. He knows God's will. You can ask a prophet to pray for you. You can ask a high priest to pray for you. You can ask an apostle to pray for you. You can ask a pastor to pray for you. Pick the closest person to you and ask them to pray for you. But they don't know you better than God does. And He prays for you. Intercedes on your behalf. He knows His will. We only guess it at times, don't we? And that's even our best, is to guess what is God's plan here. Or we could apply intelligent theology all day long. We could talk about our limited understanding and all those things. But the Holy Spirit intercedes intelligently. Every single time. The exact time, every time, the exact need, every time, the solution, all that, every time, intelligently, He knows God's will. He helps. He works. He's effective. He knows exactly the Father's desire and His plans for us. He searches the heart. The Father does. The Father knows what the mind of the Spirit is. He knows what the Spirit thinks. He knows what the Spirit is doing. He knows where the Spirit is going. He knows all these activities that the Spirit is involved in and how it's going to be done. And if the Father is that intensely aware of you and fully engaged to see that it's all met, imagine how intensely the Holy Spirit's at work in that to bring it about. Because that's exactly what He does. He's fully engaged, fully occupied, fully sympathetic, but fully all-knowing. I think it's an amazing thing. Matter of fact, let me give you this one little tidbit that I think might be fascinating. I, it does to me, anyway. You say, okay, the Father is so involved in that, and the Holy Spirit so involved in that interceding thing. Now, that's two persons of the Trinity. You're outnumbered. But do you not know all three of them are at the same job? We haven't got there yet, but just take one little look down, not too far. Let's see, verse number 34. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is also doing what? Interceding for us, the same word. Wow! All three members of the Trinity are engaged in this on your behalf. Does that sound important? Wow! That's incredible. What do you have here? Let me just say it simply. You have the omnipotent God, who, can, who is all-powerful. You have the omniscient God, who knows everything. You have the omnipresent God, who is everywhere, helping you. Are you convinced yet? What he can do? That he's working on your behalf? 
intensely, intelligently, with all effectiveness, with all wisdom of the exact nature, all three of them, and the Holy Spirit indwelling you on top of that, operating on your behalf for your weaknesses. I can't think of a better situation to be in, can you? I keep saying, in this, we are secure. In this, we are secure. We are secure in our weakness. Now you see why. If we can only take our eyes off ourselves and lift them up and see God at work. That was my task this morning, to show you what He's doing. What He's doing. How intensely and how intelligently the Spirit has been interceding for us. And next week we're going to talk about what He wants. What He wants. You want a preview? Read verse 28. This is what He wants. Do you think you'll get it? Aha. Stay tuned, folks. This is exciting stuff. Let's talk to Him. Heavenly Father... Once again, you just overwhelm us with who you are. The powerful God is at work in us, even right now. And I thank you, Lord, that that is true. I thank you for this display of your great love for us, that you would intensely and intelligently Work on our behalf right here in these lives of ours, and you will not fail, and we praise you for that. Lord, perhaps somebody here this morning really needed a boost today, and now they walk away from this room secure in the love of God for them. And I pray that you're, you're just bathe their heart in your peace, your life. Help them to, to rest in you and know what dependence is truly about. Some of us, Lord, have fought against your will, your ways. Some of us have struggled with, with giving to your, your leadership, to your power, to your direction. Some of us have tried to do things on our own strength, our own will. We've fought and fought and fought. And here again, you bring us back to the place where we need you. Desperately do we need you. And you have proven yourself to work desperately on our behalf. Thank you for working in spite of our ignorance and our rebelliousness and our stubbornness. Thank you for your faithfulness to us even when we're faithless. Thank you for your power that is greater than ours, your wisdom and your love that far exceeds us. Thank you that you've aimed it in our direction, that you love us with a love that's never quenched because you gave your Son for us, and through him we are your children. Thank you for what you're doing. We praise you, Lord, for it. And pray that you're set the application in each of our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen.